Intel and that macroeconomic data into your life, help you digest it, help you move forward with it. And today's show is going to be around the long game because that's what a lot of transportation people are playing right now. Yes. Is the long game. They're waiting for the market to turn. But also on the other side of that equation are transportation managers mm-hmm. and supply chain managers who have not had to really focus on too much day-to-day. Yeah. So it's kind of funny how that works. Like you get into these jobs where, you know, from a, you basically are like, oh, I got to go, got to go, problems, fires, fires, fires in the near term. And you really can't do anything about that long game. Mm -hmm. And then everything flips and you get a little bit of time. Yeah. But you don't do, you end up not doing anything about the long game even then. <laughs> yeah, you basically, you're, I don't want to say stuck, but you you live in the moment. They're all short-term focused, live in the moment. I'm getting my benefits right now. Yep. Don't have to worry about what the future really holds because we don't know when it's going to be. So they don't, it could be two weeks, it could be six months, it could be two years they i think that's the challenge of it right you if you in the playing the long game is you're preparing for something you don't know exactly when it's going to be and if you're preparing for it to flip in a year from now and it changes in six months it doesn't really matter if you are prepared for a year because all that goes out the window yeah so like that's i think that's the challenge of of playing this longer term game or or in some cases not playing it is you bring your issues into the shorter term, but you're not re- you're still not ready for them when they happen. I think yeah. that's the problem. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think you know why people are interested in macroeconomics mm-hmm. uh, is because they all know that at some point you are subject to the environment with which you exist yeah. in and are participating in, um, and you're making a guess. You know, the financial sector knows this all too well. That's all it is. Yes. You're guessing about when is your outcome going to be the most fruitful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you have to keep the near term in highest consideration at all times because you're ultimately, that's what you're judged by. Yeah. But if you don't keep a little bit back for that longer term trend, you are are doing your job a disservice. Yeah. I mean, the financial sector is the perfect example of it because, right, I mean, if you think the stock market's the idea behind the market is to get a six month read or it's a yeah. six month gauge of where things are going to be right. in six months. And your price, I mean, ultimately it's a pricing game yeah. and you're pricing it for six months expectations. But you listen to people talk, they're like, oh, yeah, we're long term investors and things go up. But it's like, like a, if you're like nine to 12 months. Yeah. I think Seth. Uh, home. Yeah. yeah. You talk about the average like holdings, yeah. like nine to 12 months in the return. Nine to 12 months. Can you imagine? I'm going to, I think I'm going to invest in Walmart and then divest in nine to 12 months based on what happens right now. What's happening today? Like, or in the quarter, last quarter, right? Like (laughs) everything's looking backwards, predicting the future. You don't know the timing of the future, 
but you're making decisions of I'm already going to be out of this position. Yeah. It, it, it just doesn't make a ton of sense. Well, let's, let's focus a little bit more attention on the near term. And if you would be so kind as to count in for the market in two, so we can at least get a grip on what's going on right now. All right, Zach, in three, two, one. All right, first chart up, the OTVI. I kind of diverted from this last week because I thought it was relevant thanks to all that weather disruption. However, OTVI, our demand index, telling you the total number of tenders based on an index, uh, it tells us a good idea of what that macroeconomic activity is like, especially from the consumer side. If you look at the white line there, we are above. We are well, we're still well above where we were this time last year, well below that early 2022 period, which... I don't know that we'll ever get back there necessarily, maybe, well, at least not in the near term without some sort of catastrophe, but demand still looks relatively good from my perspective. Let's go to the next chart. Now, tender rejection rates. Really thought these would be coming down at this point uh, after that weather situation has kind of cleared up. Most of the nation has warmed up, not a lot of ice, snow covers retreat, retracting. Groundhog Day is tomorrow, probably see his shadow, who knows, uh, but Rejection rates still above 5%. Let's go to the next chart. Uh, spot market itself. So this is our NTIL. Uh, it's showing the spot rates. Also peaking above where they were this time last year. Things were a little bit more chaotic last year coming out of the holidays. This year, not so much. Uh, and we are still trending higher for dry van spot market freight. Let's go to the last chart here. Tender rejection rates broken down by van and refrigerated. Now, I'm going to spend the most time here because I think this is interesting. This is probably the most interesting one. Uh, refrigerated rejection rates. This is a component of the OTRI itself coming down. Uh, protect from freeze season is in, is in full play. Rejection rates for refrigerated have been more volatile, obviously, than van sitting down there in white. However, what's driving this rejection rate stickiness is actually the van sector. The, the one thing with the warmer temps and everything going on, this is the one sector that should be at this point seeing some level of stabilization. However, we are not quite there yet. Could keep in mind that 5% still is historically low. Yeah, I mean, the takeaway, you, you hit the nail on the head. It, it's all the, the stickiness driven by van is an interesting one because that should have, following the winter weather, if that was the catalyst, which it, the timing lines up that that was a catalyst to tighten the market yeah. to, to some degree. But after that kind of retracted, you would have seen carriers move back into their contract. I mean, they're still under contracts largely, but they would have moved back in and you would have thought we would have been back closer to where we were, say, pre-December, right? Even into November in that three and a half to 4% range. So, mm -hmm. I mean, not a huge move down, 100 basis points are here, but it holding at this five-ish percent, just over 5%, to me shows the market is a little more fragile than than initially thought. That's it. That's, that's exactly my takeaway, is that we're still in a relatively loose market environment. Yeah. It's not like rates are blowing up and, and going haywire. It's just they're not dropping significantly. And now they're actually becoming a little bit more responsive yeah. off the floor, mind you. <laughs> uh, but that trend line, January, like if you look at that chart right there, rejection rates have not fallen back to where they were in early December. No. Like, and they, I mean, look at the, I think the reefer one, 
just in the comparison, right? Mm -hmm. Just in the trend itself, right? That decline that we've seen over the past couple of days, you would have thought we would have seen that in the van market as well. And we haven't. And I think that is the telling sign is that they haven't followed. They don't typically follow perfectly in lockstep with each other, but you can see movement, especially when weather or outside influences impact the freight market. The fact that they didn't is is the more telling sign of where it is. Now, we did come up end of the month, but it's January. Typically, you don't see a lot of, it doesn't really impact the market. And uh, you don't get a lot. You saw the demand. It's actually fallen. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, OTVI was dropping, uh, but it, I mean, in the near term, week over week, it was still relatively elevated. But yeah, you see at the end of the month, it actually didn't have that end of the month push and January is January, like he said. Um, I want to talk about, you know, I do have a little bit of background insight Mm -hmm. on why some of these rejection rates and spot rates are staying so stable. So if we pull up the RTI and FTI uh, chart here with the NTI, so we just released the refrigerated uh, truckload index and the flatbed truckload index to complement our national truckload index there in white uh, to measure the other two main Mm -hmm. modes of uh, travel in the United States on the spot market. Now, spot loads, of course, over 250 miles on average, so we don't get a lot of that short haul noise. Uh, And you can see flatbed has been slowly stabilizing. We've got refrigerated that has, looks like it hit a floor, just like the dry van side has. Flatbed seems to have hit a floor, but slightly later. Yeah. (laughs) uh, If you look at the spot market, but van and refrigerated, those spot rates, if in the blue and the white, look like they are actually trending higher mm-hmm. here in the new year. And yeah. I am, so the insight that I have is we still need to give this a second yeah. because in the back end, the spot rates that are driving this higher are basically avoidances. Mm-hmm. We're seeing spot rates go higher into the colder weather environments, yeah. Pacific Northwest. Uh, tons of rain, tons of snow, maybe not, you know, it's warming up and then it's cooling off, but it's, it's been a constant struggle. It's the, the, the way you get there. I think that's part of it too, it's, right? Oh, it's and you not that it's, it's not that it's affecting mm-hmm. like the weather's not, but it's, if you have to go across I-90 yeah. or I-80 and the weather that's coming from the Pacific Northwest across that, that you would be heading right into. Well, even if there is freight there. Yeah. Like, which there's not typically, <laughs> uh, but even if there is freight there, I mean, it's not it's not surprising to see rates go higher into the Pacific yeah. Northwest. But I think over the last bit, we've had a lot of weather yeah. uh, in the northern tier, into the Midwest where the freeze, not so much snow necessarily, but the freeze yeah. uh, really did take a hold there. And so we saw rates go higher into basically the Plain States. Again, not a lot of freight there. Um, but weather also an influence basically saying, you know, if you're a driver right now, turning down freight still feels wrong really weird <laughs> yeah like you just wouldn't think it would happen yeah. right i mean you think utilization has to be darn near 100 percent because yeah. like again if you're not moving you're not making money and but the bills still come due yeah. right so like you've got to continue. i think we're i think we're actually getting to the point where drivers are basically saying i'm not i can't do it or carriers specifically too yeah. like because this is large carrier bias stuff in the in the tender rejection mm-hmm. data this is a little bit more leaning towards the smaller operators, obviously brokers yeah. uh, connect those to some of the larger shippers. But I think that is what we're seeing is like, they're finally hitting a point where it's like, you know what? I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was 
kind of a matter of when did that happen, right? We mm-hmm. talked about it really last year that it seemed like summer, like you're kind of seeing the war chest that some of these smaller operators built up run out mm-hmm. and they're like, it's yeah. just not, it's not worth it at, at the prices because again, inflation's still a thing. Yep. Even though everybody talks oh, about inflation yeah. coming down, it's just because sorry, the inflation metric is coming down, <laughs> right? Doesn't mean the prices aren't going up. That's, and I think that's the part that gets misconstrued a lot. Agreed. In when talking about inflation numbers, just because when it's positive, it doesn't, prices are going up regardless. So it, it's, again, it, it's slower growth in prices, not necessarily that prices and are I don't, I don't coming know down. That we're fully done. This whole no. like global supply chain environment is so, unstable. I see. Yeah, there's so much geopolitical risk. But we're talking about transportation prices by the end of the year probably being on their way up. We're yes. already seeing it. Yes. We've already heard it in the earnings reports mm-hmm. where, and of course, everybody's allocating a lot of it to the weather, which obviously it does have a big influence. But I think this is also telling for later in the year that this is highly likely now yeah. in 2024. Economically speaking, uh, the Fed has signaled that cuts are definitely possible. Yeah, It sounds likely this year. Uh, but not at the next meeting no. in March. They're saying basically, like, let's hold off until May. And I, I think this, too, is helping prop up some of the potential in the market for later in the year. Yeah, because when you cut, when the Fed cuts rates, it lowers the cost of capital. And what's that do? It leads to investment. Frees up cash. And it, it frees up cash. I mean, there's so many things it helps drive. It's a demand driver. And them not cut, leaving the likelihood of cuts later. I think anybody that was thinking it was coming in March was a little crazy. Uh, I mean, it be. just it just would have been a rapid change mm-hmm. of the, a rapid pivot. I mean, what this was the fourth meeting that they've kept re- kept rate stable. So the next one in March would have been the fifth meeting since they started mm-hmm. the pause. Like that's a very quick change in overall like. In the inflation metrics, if you look in December, CPI went up. Mm-hmm. It's not moving. It's not necessarily headed back down to their... I know they have preferred other metrics that they look at opposed to that, but it's not that it's... There's not much more room. Like, if it, they're not going to... It definitely seems like they're not raising rates right. again. Uh, but inflation's still above their target, and they're not going to make a move until they see it continue towards that target. And it hasn't happened yet, and it doesn't feel like it's likely to happen, given, again, some of the broader risk in the market. Yeah, um, and also on that same note, uh, the PMI came out uh, 49.1 versus 47.1. It was not expected to grow. No. And so this is industrial uh, sector-centric stuff, manufacturing, new orders, et cetera. New orders expanded to 52.5 from 47. Good. Again, Anything over 50 is expansion. Anything under, I think it's 49.2 or something is contraction. Mm-hmm. We'll call it 50. I don't know why it lands that way, but um, new orders expanding to me. This is like, you saw OTVI. It's it's not bad. No. So this is a demand side. Manufacturing Manufacturing side, side thing that has been largely absent from our economy for a while. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it lags, right? Yeah. I mean, new orders... I mean, how long does it take for that to actually turn Manifest into something into, else? Yeah. But it's a positive sign in the right direction, right? I think it lends credence to the, by the back half of this year, yep. 
because it doesn't seem like the consumer's slowing down. No, nope. uh, no, the consumer's think, already here. That never went away. We thought the consumer was going to leave, and it hasn't. And they uh, haven't. <laughs> they've changed spending behavior to yeah. some degree, and some right? of that's unhealthy spending. Let's not. I think yeah. I, I saw an article. Ryan Grody uh, shared it with our company. Yeah. on doom spending. Yeah, which is just another way of psychological comfort spending. Yeah. I feel so bad that I have to spend money to feel better. <laughs> and that's half the issue with the American the consumer, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> it's one of those. But to me, you see this, we're, the PMI approaching that expansion territory is a good thing. Mm-hmm. New orders in expansion territory mm-hmm. is a very good thing. Yeah. Nah, and then you start, I looked at it, it came out in the Daily Watch this morning. If you start looking at ocean data. Yep. Uh, from China to the U.S. is like the highest level it's been since July 2022. I mean, let's do that now. That's we've a got, that's a positive sign we've got, yeah, overall. We've got so we've got an article. I was going to do this a little bit later, but let's go ahead and knock out the Red Sea uh, coverage here in Newsonomics. So Greg Miller, uh, obviously a wonderful journalist here, wrote a an article saying, "Is the red is the Red Sea effect on container shipping being overblown?" My response to that is yes and no. Yes. <laughs> um, so there's a few charts that I want to pull up here regarding this. Now, largely the sentiment is that it is a mix of yes and no. No to the extent this first chart that I'm going to pull up here, rates from Asia to Lo- uh, to Los Angeles, they're up. <laughs> they're the highest they've been in over a year. Yeah. Uh, this is a chart of Freitos uh, rates, spot rates for 40-foot containers. You can see the trend line here. This is not typical, <laughs> especially in a market where we largely know, and, and part of the article points this out, there's plenty of supply. Even yeah. with the Red Sea disruptions, there's plenty of capacity moving in, uh, in the world globally right now. It's just not as efficient as it once was. Yeah. But there's still plenty of supply. So let's look at the next chart, which is going to be rates to the East Coast, which, of course, I showed you the West Coast. You would ex- that has the least exposure. exposure to this. Rates to the East Coast, you would think, would be like, yeah, this is absolutely. Well, you know, largely about, I would say 60 to 70% of these rates have actually had a pretty decent mm-hmm. flip going from, this is all over the world to the East Coast, I should say, not just China or Asia. Uh, so you can see there's some flat numbers there coming from Europe uh, for spot rates. So the Europe trade lanes coming into the United States, not nearly as impacted. Yeah, which is is interesting because you think, the shipping lanes that are mm-hmm. affected are typically with the Red Sea is yeah. Asia to Europe. You would yeah. think Europe would have some impact mm-hmm. outbound, regardless of direction it was going. Yeah. But it clearly isn't. But I mean, on the other side of the, the, the equation, yeah. You know, and I think <laughs> some of it is they're moving capacity to service sure. Europe, right? right? Pulling it off of Trans Pacific exactly. lanes. Exactly. And then they're using that to move from. Europe to North America to some degree. And so it doesn't affect rates because mm-hmm. the capacity is still flowing the way it was versus other ones. It's also an opportunity for yeah. Nail on the ocean carriers to just raise <laughs> spot rates There's in a way. too. So let's break that down a little bit here. I've got a few more charts. So the IOTI, the Import Ocean TEUs Index, which measure, it's a measure of demand. So it's 20 foot equivalent units in an index. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving from China into the United States. Look at how sticky that volume is. And it's actually increasing, like you yep. pointed out. Uh, Chinese New Year, Lunar New Year occurs in nine days. Yeah. And this is not unusual to see demand spike in front of that. No, the it's the post Golden Week mm-hmm. stickiness. Yeah. Typically, you'd see that decline. Yeah. Uh, you it saw, never really, fe- I mean, it fell back. 
that, that froth right there in October is Golden Week in October. That's their other major yep. holiday. But you see the Chinese New Year effect last year. Deep trough. <laughs> yeah. And then you see the peak. Yeah. It's not really a peak. I mean, yeah. there's no true no. peak in that mm-hmm. August to September range when you would think that's the peak season on the ocean. Mm-hmm. But what you would have seen is severe weakness typically leading in following Golden Week, right? Yeah keeps trending, it bounces back and then it trends back down lower into October, mid-October into November before it ramps back up to Lunar New Year. You didn't see that. It was relatively sticky, which I think is the the interesting part about this is that it shows that demand through the fourth quarter maybe wasn't as weak yeah. as anticipated, which if you're a transportation provider here, yeah. that is a positive for future demand, future demand here. Six to eight weeks out uh, is what that is what this chart is telling you from a domestic surface transportation. Yeah. Let's go to the next chart here, the TU rejection index. These have been coming up uh, over the last little bit, and it's interesting. <laughs> uh, the, TE, the rejections don't work necessarily the exact same way, uh, but this is a little bit, if you can see, this is happening before the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. We've got a couple of things going on here. The Red Sea obviously helps fuel the narrative. Yeah. But then you have this uh, situation where rejection rates have actually been trending higher over the last six to eight months without that. Yeah. And that's with abundant capacity. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's To me, this is ocean carriers trying to flex their muscles yeah. and just show the power that they have. And they can. Uh, yeah. I mean, when it's there's not, what, nine the that have 90, <laughs> nine yeah. have 90% market share or something like that mm-hmm. of containerized freight on the ocean. It's easy to do it. They're, I mean, it's... Ultimately, it's an artificial way to, yeah. to prop spot rates. And you can see it. If you go back and look at spot rate data from China to the U.S., you can see when they tried to do these, they push spot mm-hmm. rates up and they didn't hold. Uh, they fell back within a week. Mm-hmm. Right now, they're sticky or stickier given the conflicts. But again, it's right six one half dozen of the other. It, it It is what it is right now. Yeah. I don't think we can rely on... There's the just mari- risk. The, the maritime shipping lanes are going to be at risk all year. Yeah. Regardless. There's and another article. It's not course. just Red Sea. Yeah. There's other areas. There's that- all sorts of stuff going on there. So let's move on to, uh, I think we skipped over the UPS coyote situation here. Uh, I, I'm going to only hit these like high level. Uh, UPS to cut 12,000 jobs may sell the brokerage unit coyote logistics, which... The one thing out here uh, that they they stated, uh, basically their CEO uh, stated, UBS didn't fully understand the heavily cyclical nature of Coyote's business, which has manifested over the past eight years. That is irresponsible. Yeah. That is, that is I, I don't know if she's saying that or to be truthful or to cover up something, but how do you purchase something of that scale yeah. Without understanding how cyclical brokerage is. And you are at a transportation like company. Yeah. And it's not like they're, <laughs> I mean, they're as cyclical. I mean, UPS's domestic I, business is cyclical. I don't know what to make of that statement. <laughs> it, now, I will give Carol Tomakes a slight pass because she wasn't. CEO when they did make this acquisition. Yeah, who ever told her that though? I'm, I'm that's like, who needs to be. Like, that's for the question. Yeah. Who's on your MA team? Because <laughs> that person, <laughs> I mean, Maybe it is the most cyclical business. I mean, that's the reason they sold the LTL business off, was the cyclical nature. 
Which is far less cyclical, cyclical than, than Roach. Yeah, that's, that's what doesn't make sense. And it was not a small yeah. acquisition. The other side of UPS, and this wasn't really even talked about. I mean, they were offering deep discounts, They're, especially in the ground yeah, sector. It's the parcel side, which there's two. <laughs> well, <I> mean, largely. <laughs> that, or I mean, Amazon's in there now, yeah. too, as the third. I mean, it's I think it's larger than UPS in terms yeah. of what it handles. But it, offering discounts on ground and volume down 6%. It's mm. the double whammy. Yeah. Of, of the, and why do you have to cut 12,000 jobs? For that reason. Yeah. You drop oh, your prices and it's you a still lost problem. volume. Guess what, guys? Later in the year, all that pricing power probably reverts and it yeah. may be pretty significant. Yeah. Uh, uh, Heartland, really fast. Heartland, of course, kind of a barometer for me, reported some disappointing earnings, largely due to the CFI and Smith uh, sectors, which my big question here is, how are they still able to measure those two entities independently of the larger unit? They, well, <laughs> yeah, and if they're operating, well, the thing is, you would think, because we've seen Night Swift take on U.S. Express and get that ship kind of turned around. Why are CFI, and this happened. happened earlier than U.S. Express, I mean, like six to eight months before, why are they still operating at 103.8 yeah. OR? Because that they've had, Eight months here. Yeah. And I, so my read on this, if Heartland can't make money, it's a rough, it's a rough market. Yes. But there are, you can't apply the same logic that you once did that Heartland is always going to make money. Yeah. Because they bought these two that obviously didn't. really struggling sectors. Yeah. So, I mean, overall, it does look like um, things are setting up though later in yes. the year. I think, I think we're at such a dire moment. Yeah. in transportation that everybody's got to watch out. Absolutely. Play that long game. <laughs>